0: (laughs) Good to see you guys, and uh, I'm excited uh, to be looking at the Prophets over eight weeks, and it's a section of the Old Testament which is larger than the whole of the New Testament. So it's like massive. Um, And today I just want to introduce the Prophets and throw a few ideas around, and uh, start to lead you in some prayer. Uh, I've got a special prayer at the end. That I'd love people to be using in this series. Um, I think daily the news is unwittingly calling for prophets to rise up and speak truth. And I'm not just thinking about uh, the recent news, but all, just more generally in our society. The news daily reminds us of the corruption and the decadence of our world and our society. And um, we see false justice. We see white policemen um, using undue force and uh, a black man suffocating to death uh, and um, the breaking out of riots across the United States and across the world. And that, the scale of uh, the reaction really does underscore that there's been false justice for a very long time for blacks and the wounds of that have never really healed and we need prophets to speak out. Uh, But not only false justice, false courts uh, that legalise the killing of unborn children to such an extent that it makes Herod's slaughter of the innocents uh, pale into insignificance. And uh, we see false speech and false values. We see the lie that uh, a person can change their gender. Uh, we constantly see false sexuality. Uh, we've done away with the transcendent, with God, and so that's left us with human beings as kind of just bodies that you manipulate and use. And I think pornography is simply the lie that all we are is bodies um, and we can manipulate and use those bodies however we want. And we are degrading ourselves through this false sexuality. We also see false religion. We see the lie that if you follow Jesus, you'll become rich, whereas the essence of the gospel is the cross and taking up our cross and following. There's so much falseness everywhere in our world and we need prophets to rise up and speak out the truth in this dark world. Isaac Singer, in his Nobel Prize-winning book, The Penitent, describes our world this way. I bought a newspaper, and as I turned the pages, I found there everything I wanted to escape from. Wars, glorification of revolution, murders, rapes, politicians' cynical promises, lying editorials, a claim of stupid books and dirty plays and films. The paper paid tribute to every possible kind of idolatry and spat on truth. According to the editors, if the voters would only choose the president that they were recommending and put into effect this or that reform, all would be well with the world. Even the obituary page was made to seem almost optimistic. It listed all the accomplishments of those who had died and displayed their photographs. A a producer had died, and the account enumerated all the trashy plays he had produced, all the smut he had produced and presented on stage. The fact that he had died relatively young was glossed over. The emphasis was on the fact that he had accumulated a big estate. Uh, which was left to his fourth or fifth wife. That day a murderer was arrested who had been charged with the crime several times before, but each time he'd been freed on bail or parole and his photograph was printed alongside of the name of his lawyer, whose function it was to teach this murderer how to avoid punishment so he could kill more innocent people. Yeah, that's a snapshot of the world we live in. It's a world not unlike uh, the 8th century before Christ when God first raised up the prophets of Israel to speak out against injustice and lies and immorality and call people to the truth and to God. It was a world of false justice. Micah 2.1 at morning light, which is the time when they held court in the Middle East. They defraud people their homes. They robbed them of their inheritance. It was a world of false speech and false values. Isaiah 3 speaks against materialism. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and the headbands and crescent necklaces, the earrings and bracelets and veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume bottles and charms and signet rings and nose rings, the fine robes and the capes and cloaks, and purses, and mirrors, and the linen garments, and tararas and shawls. Also, it was a a world of false sexuality. Amos 2.7, father and son, use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. It was a world of false religion, Micah 2.11. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, That would be just the prophet for my people. All of this sounds very modern. So what are the characteristics of the prophets that God raised up in those times? And what are the characteristics that we can learn from? Because we too are called, we who know Jesus, are also called to prophesy the truth in our world. Some of us are given a particular calling for that, but all of us have a part to play in that. So what are the characteristics? Well, I've got 10 things, and I want to spend nearly all of the time on the first one. Firstly, the prophets saw God. Everything else flows from this. That's what's distinctive. They were conscious of the presence, reality, and character of God. And that consciousness caused them to be sensitive to sin. They could not tolerate injustice in any form. They railed against idolatry. They railed against all the arrogance, the hubris of society. They were iconoclastic. They smashed down the idols and the lies and the pretensions. But fundamental to the prophets is that they saw God and i lived with a consciousness of divine reality one scholar says the prophet saw his own age the times in which he lived from the divine point of view and that is very different to seeing it from the human point of view the man of god saw god and because he saw god he could see the world and seeing the world he spoke And that is the prophetic ministry. Another scholar says the prophetic life was lived under the impact of a new reality, the presence of God. In their own personal life, the prophets experienced this power terrifyingly as the radical overthrow of everything that they had held to before in such a way that the whole previous pattern of their life, their thoughts, their plans... Were now smashed and replaced by a mighty divine imperative, obliging them to undertake something that they would never dreamed of doing. As they became conscious of God, they saw the whole world as a titanic self-assertion of hubris, of the arrogance of man and society against God. The prophets became conscious of God through visions. Ezekiel had a vision of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. He sees four cherubim representing God's sovereignty. Their faces are pointing outwards. The face of a human who rule the creation. The face of a lion, the king of the beasts. The face of an ox, the king of the domestic animals. And the face of an eagle, the king of the birds of the air. And their wings together were holding this palladium like a diamond. And it looked like sparkling ice. And there was on this palladium, sparkling with ice, a throne of sapphire. And on this sapphire throne, there was one who from the waist up was like molten metal. And below, fire and lightning and the aurora of the rainbow surrounding it all. Well, John on the island of Patmos saw Jesus with a robe down to his feet and a golden sash across his chest. His face and head and hair were white like wool, white as the snow, and his eyes blazed like the sun and his voice was the sound of many waters and John fell down as if dead before him and Isaiah has this vision of God in Isaiah 6 as we just read and I want to spend some time with this vision verse 1 in the year of King Uzziah when he died the death of King Uzziah tragically marked the end of the greatness of Judah. Just as the death of Queen Victoria marked the end of England's greatness as an empire. The seeds of Judah's fall were already there at this time. Seeds of injustice, lying and immorality. All the seeds were there. All it needed was prosperity to make it even worse to make the society even more corrupt, which is what happened. Their prosperity worsened their corruption, just as prosperity is uh, worsening the corruption of our society. One scholar says Israel lived in a period of economic revolution, which was proving to be a mixed blessing. Unfortunately, the influx of material prosperity had spawned a selfish materialism A complacent approach to religion is a means of achieving human desires and the disintegration of personal and social values. Wealth was invested in land with the result that the traditional system of agricultural small holdings collapsed with the growth of vast estates. Sounds very much like our world. And material and emotional distress ensued. Age-old sanctions associated with the divine covenant were shrugged off, even uh, and social concern was at the bottom of the list of priorities of national and local government officials. Even religious leaders, priests and prophets, did little more than echo the spirit of the period, buttressing the society that gave them their livelihood. The seeds were there and with prosperity, the problem got worse. And also very much like our world today, there was the threat of a totalitarian system with a powerful army, the Assyrians. So the free Western countries were living in decadence and prosperity. And off to the east, the Assyrian menace was growing. And its armies were invincible, moving like a glacier, that no one could stop, and eventually it would overturn Israel and the Western countries. It's similar to the situation perhaps we find ourselves in today with China on the rise, flexing her muscles to the east, to the west and to the south. Those were the circumstances in which Isaiah has this vision. He sees the Lord seated on a throne, and everything he says here conveys comfort and assurance in the sovereignty of God. He says, I saw the Lord. And that word Lord is Adonai, Master. He sees the Master of the whole world. And he is seated on a throne, high and exalted, transcendent, eternal, sovereign. And the train of his robe filled the temple. There's nothing like this in the art of the ancient Near East where you have like a bridal train. The train of his robe filled the entire temple. It's like this huge auditorium. And the picture is it suffocates all human pride. There is no place in this scene For any man to rise up and glorify him or herself. To bring honour to him or herself. God's train fills the temple. There are no longer celebrities. There are no longer personalities. There is no longer the praising of men. There is only the glory of God. Transcendent in the midst. And having seen. This vision of God in his transcendent sovereignty and majesty and glory, Isaiah sees seraphs. And everything he now speaks of is not about God's sovereignty but about God's otherness, his holiness. Above him were seraphs, which in Hebrew means fiery figures. He sees these in his prophetic psyche as God gives him this vision. He sees smoke later on and fire and smoke speak of God's purity and otherness. And he sees six wings on these seraphim. With two wings they covered their faces, they could not look on the glory of God. With two they covered their feet, the feet are the symbol of creatureliness and humility. And with two they were flying ready to do God's bidding. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at that moment, the most stable thing on the earth, which is the temple, begins to shake. The most unshakable thing made that is on the earth, the temple of the living God, begins to shake as a sign that the whole earth will be shattered before the presence of this God. And with this vision, Isaiah now gets an insight into himself. He sees what he really is, a sinner. And he sees that the world around him is a world of uncleanness. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a ma- man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He has a vision like Asaph in Psalm 73. When he saw the Lord, he realised I am but a dumb beast, insensitive and ignorant. Or Peter, when he saw the glory of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. The prophets have this profound understanding of the holiness of God and the sin of humanity. John Calvin begins his famous Institutes of Religion by saying, We cannot know ourselves until we know God. It's plain that no man can arrive at the true knowledge of himself without having first contemplated the divine character and then descended to the consideration of his own. For such is the native pride of us all. We invariably esteem ourselves righteous, innocent, wise and holy until we are convinced by clear proofs of our unrighteousness, folly and impurity. But if we elevate our thoughts to God and consider his nature and the constant perfection of his righteousness, wisdom and strength to which we ought to be conformed, what before charmed us in ourselves under the false pretense of righteousness will soon be loathed as the greatest iniquity. What strangely deceived us under the title of wisdom will be despised as extreme folly. And what wore the appearance of strength will prove to be the most wretched impotence. When we see God, we see our folly, our weakness, our sin, our need of him. And having had this insight into himself, Isaiah receives his call first he's cleansed verse 6 his lips are cleansed then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar and a coal with blood on it is applied to Isaiah's lips and he finds cleansing and with that fire his lips will speak with power the truth because Isaiah is now commissioned and this is something unique in the ancient world Isaiah is caught up into a heavenly court he hears God himself speak in all the other religions of the ancient Near East the angels come to tell the prophets what to say but the prophets of Israel are ushered into the very presence of God Then I heard the voice of God saying, whom shall I send and will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah has an encounter with God and this explains everything, everything about the prophets and about our calling. Firstly, they encounter God, they encounter God and when they encounter God, their whole world is changed. They see the world as it really is. They encounter God. They see his holiness. And in that light, they know the world cannot endure before God. That was their experience. And so, secondly, they're sensitive to evil. They're horrified by everyday things we pass over. They give voice to the silent agony of the plundered poor. They rail against the hypocrisy of false religion. They condemn the profane rich riches of this world. They're torn apart by the sin of this world. Thirdly, they're concerned about the smallest things. The smallest injustice is a catastrophe for the prophets, a threat to the whole moral fibre of society. We look for peace of mind. We make allowances. We make concessions. We don't want to be in disgust all of our lives at everything, but the but not the prophets, because they have seen the holiness of God. Fourthly, their language is luminous and explosive, as we'll see. Fifthly, they abhor hubris, arrogance. Sixthly, they are absolutely iconoclastic, shattering everything that people call valuable, all our cherished beliefs. Everything people value, they knock it down. The only thing valuable is God himself and the things of God. Seventhly, they have a modest lifestyle, renouncing worldliness, but they're full of compassion, full of the love of God. Eighthly, they don't try to please people. They don't promise everybody heaven. Um, they don't say everything's wonderful and there's no judgment not the prophets that, that would be a false prophet Amos says the false prophets cry peace because people want to hear peace never judgment never condemnation they want to hear everything is wonderful the false prophets they want to meet psychological needs but they don't tell the truth that this whole thing is going to burst Ninthly, the prophets are lonely, therefore. They're rejected. They're miserable at times. They don't want to be prophets. They don't like their calling, but they can't do anything other, for they have been called by God. They have seen God, and they're persecuted, and they're martyred, but they have to speak. They will not stop speaking, but people don't like what they hear. Jeremiah wants to get out of it. Elijah tells Elisha to not be a prophet. Don't do it. But Elisha has to speak. Tenthly, there are people of prayer. And even when God tells Jeremiah not to pray, Jeremiah says, sorry, Lord, I can't help it. I must pray. These are my people and I want to spare them. The judgment that is coming. Oh, and of course, we'll see in this series all the hope that then the prophets talk about where there is repentance. Well, okay, so these are the characteristics of the prophets. We're going to look at Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. And I'm going to put up maps and information and timelines and defining what prophets do and the different periods and, and all of that in an article this week. But these are the characteristics that mark a prophet. And this is our calling too, because we too have seen the Lord. John 1, 14, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we have seen His holiness and His majesty more clearly and more fully on the cross and in His resurrection than any vision that Ezekiel or Isaiah ever saw. And we've received His cleansing, the forgiveness of our sins and commissioning We've heard his voice. I know when I was eight years old, I heard his voice. And I said, here am I. Send me. And I knew that I was to preach. And that that would be my life. And we will all fulfill our role in prophecy in different ways. But I knew that I had to preach. And I will preach and I will not stop for I have seen the Lord. And the fire of the Spirit has touched our lips, cleansed us, and and set our hearts on fire so that we must speak. This is our calling. I want to end with a prayer. Our issue will be that we don't see clearly. And I want to suggest to you that this prayer which is coming up on the screen is the prayer that we could pray throughout this whole series. And uh, I put it up on Facebook as well. The prayer that we would see God. Can you, would you pray it with me now? Oh God... Open my eyes that I may see Jesus. My heart longs to see your glory and your holiness. But sin has clouded my vision. So I only see you dimly. Make me inwardly pure so I can with unveiled eyes gaze upon you all the days of my life. And then I will be ready to behold you in full splendour on that day when you appear to be glorified in your people and admired by all who believe. Amen.